words will always retain their power. Words are for the means to meaning and for those who will listen, the enunciation of truth. And the truth is, there is something terribly wrong with this country. Medicare, Medicaid, and Social Security without cuts. Have to do it. Get rid of the fraud, get rid of the waste and abuse, but save it. People have been paying in for years, and now many of these candidates want to cut it. You save it by making the United States, by making us rich again, by taking back all of the money that's being lost. From day one of his campaign, the president promised he would not cut Medicare, Medicaid, and Social Security. Unlike his opponents, he'd be a different kind of Republican. And voters rewarded him for it in the primary, particularly and in the general election. But today, the White House released its budget for 2018. And among the $4 trillion in cuts it proposes are billions upon billions of dollars slashed from both Medicaid and Social Security. The Republican health care plan passed out of the House already already included $880 billion in cuts to Medicaid. On top of that, the Trump budget would cut an additional $616 billion over 10 years, all but gutting the program. The president's budget would also slash funding for Social Security Disability Insurance, SSDI, which provides benefits to people with disabilities. Many of those people were once factory workers and manual laborers in places like the Rust Belt, which of course helped deliver the president's electoral college victory. In fact, you can see from this map that the highest participation in Social Security disability insurance is concentrated in the South, states like Louisiana, Mississippi, Kentucky, West Virginia, all in the Trump column in 2016. So today, while Rod Rosenstein was delivering the IG report on the Clinton case to the White House, at that same moment, pretty much, back here in New York, the attorney general's office, who has said that they will, quote, use every available legal tool to fight Trump's dangerous agenda, filed a lawsuit against the Trump Foundation. The suit, which specifically names the president's children, along with the president, uh, Don Jr., Eric, and Ivanka, accuses the foundation of illegal conduct and alleges unlawful coordination with the Trump presidential campaign. New York Attorney General Barbara Underwood, who took over that position after Eric Schneiderman resigned in disgrace amid reports that he had abused women, she says this. The Trump Foundation was little more than a checkbook for payments from Mr. Trump or his businesses to nonprofits, regardless of their purpose or legality. Underwood seeking $2.8 million in restitution plus penalties and wants the foundation dissolved, which, by the way, the president wanted to do a long time ago when he ran for office, but they said they had to keep it open so that they could keep the investigation open. The president now says he will not settle this case. There's no reason why a foundation owned and operated by a sitting president should be exempt from the laws that we routinely apply to other foundations. You bragged that you have sexually assaulted women. Do you understand that? No, I didn't say that at all. I don't think you understood what was said. This was locker room talk. I'm going to take such good care of women's health care issues, you won't even believe it. I have such respect for women. I cherish women. 
You've called women you don't like fat pigs, dogs, slobs, and disgusting animals. What should the law be on a, should the woman be punished for having an abortion? Well, you know, you'll go back to a, a position like they had where people will perhaps go to illegal places. Yeah. But you have to ban it. Do you believe, no, in, but, but you're, do you believe you're, in punishment for abortion? Yes or no? Is a principle? Uh, the answer is that there has to be some form of punishment. We will never go back to the way it was before Roe v. Wade because there are a number of states at the time of Roe v. Wade there were four states that provided abortion in the first trimester. No questions asked. Um, Alaska, Hawaii, New York, California. Those states will not go back to the way it was. So it is a sad reality that any attempt to restrict abortion is going to affect only the poorest seg segment of the population. What do you prefer, blacks for Trump or African-Americans for Trump? <laughs> uh, look at my African-American over here. Look at him. We have tremendous African-American support. The reason is I'm going to bring jobs back to our country. Look, what do you have to lose? You're living in poverty. Your schools are no good. You have no jobs. 58% of your youth is unemployed. What the hell do you have to lose? Mexico is killing us. When Mexico sends its people, they're not sending their best. They're not sending you. They're not sending you. They're sending people that have lots of problems. But the country of Mexico is killing us. I want to build a wall. I'm going to build a wall. I want to build the wall. We need the wall. <laughs> Asian separate me from my dad. I have not seen my father again. And they're bringing those problems with us. They're bringing drugs. They're bringing crime. They're raping. I don't want to go back to my country. Sometimes when we ask, we are told we will be in here for months. I miss my mother who lives in Delaware. I don't know why I am still here. I want to build the wall. We need the wall. And Mexico will pay for the wall. How did this happen? Who's to blame? Well, certainly there are those who are more responsible than others. They will be held accountable. But again, truth be told, if you're looking for the guilty, you need only look into a mirror. Then I have an article too where I have the right to do whatever I want as president, but I don't even talk about that. These officials cleared peaceful protests with tear gas and horses and walked onto the courtyard of St. John's Church um, and held up a Bible as if it were a prop or an extension of his military 
and authoritarian uh, position and stood in front of our building as if it were a backdrop for his agenda. Did not consult us. He did not warn us that he was coming um, across the street to to the church. In in the midst of all that's happening right now um, in our country, in this city especially, What's what's the church's message right now? What do you want people uh, to know? Yes, I mean, we are, um, we share in the grief and the outrage of uh, life after life of African-American and people of color in this country being subjected to um, to violence and death, um, often at the hands of those who are meant to keep them safe. We, uh, we, we long and we stand for those who are using their uh, civic right for peaceful protest to strive for justice, and we, we seek the same. We, we long to be part of the renewal and the healing of our country. And, and we are praying. We are praying for peace. We are praying for justice. And we are um, working every day to help realize God's dream of, of loving kindness um, among all people of the earth. From where we must come to see that social progress never rolls in on the wheels of inevitability. It comes through the tireless efforts and the persistent work of dedicated individuals. And without this hard work, Time itself becomes an ally of the primitive forces of social stagnation. And so we must help time, and we must realize that the time is always right to do right. Do you plan to visit with the Pope when he comes into Philadelphia? Well, the Pope believes in global warming. You do know that, right? (laughs) I want surveillance of certain mosques, okay? I'm not going to try to get into the mind of Donald Trump because I don't think there's a whole lot of space there. I think he's a kook. I think he's crazy. I think he's unfit for office. And I'm a Republican, and he's not. He's not a conservative Republican. He's an opportunist. He could shoot somebody on Fifth Avenue and 25 or 30 percent of the people would still follow him because he gives a voice to their anger and their frustration. The Atlantic magazine claiming President Trump called America's fallen service members suckers and losers. The president denying that report vehemently. Top Pentagon officials are weighing in. National security correspondent Jennifer Griffin has more on that. Jennifer. John, I've spoken with two senior U.S. officials who were on the trip to France who confirmed to me key details in the Atlantic article and the quotes attributed to the president. My source, a former Trump administration official, told me when the president spoke about the Vietnam War, he said it was a stupid war. Anyone who went was a sucker. The president would say about American veterans, what's in it for them? They don't make any money. The source said it was a character flaw of the president. He could not understand why someone would die for their country not worth it. I've come to the floor today as a senator, a veteran, and apparently, according to Donald Trump, a sucker and a loser. Perhaps my presence here is uncomfortable for him. After all, according to a number of reports, he thinks nobody wants to see wounded warriors like me who've lost limbs fighting to keep other Americans safe. But unfortunately for him, I am here. And I'm here because of the ethos of the United States military is the exact opposite 
of the selfish, craven, me-first mentality that Trump has shown every hour of every day of his life. In the Army, part of our soldiers' creed was to never leave a fallen comrade behind. And the only reason I'm speaking today, the only reason I'm breathing today, alive today, is because on November 12, 2004, after Iraqi insurgents fired an RPG through the Black Hawk I was co-piloting, my buddies embodied that creed. They thought I was dead, and yet they risked their own safety to bring my body back home to my family, only realizing I was still breathing when they got me to the rescue aircraft. And then these heroes wounded themselves, refused care until the medic had tended to me first. If it had been Donald Trump in that dusty field with me, or in any other battlefield, our wounded like me never would have made it home at all. But he never would have been in Iraq that day because Trump fundamentally cannot understand the notion of sacrificing for your nation. He can't comprehend the true meaning of courage, the idea of fighting for something greater than yourself, greater than your bank account or your poll numbers. He doesn't understand service, so he doesn't understand America's service members, the heroes, most of them anonymous to all but those who love them, who've allowed him to sleep soundly in his gold-plated Fifth Avenue tower throughout his privileged, gilded life. The CDC uh, has identified a case of coronavirus uh, in Washington state, the Wuhan strain of this. Um, if you remember SARS, that affected GDP, travel-related effects. Um, do you, have you been briefed by the CDC? I have. Are the words about a pandemic at this point? No, we're not at all, and uh, we're, we have it totally under control. It's one person coming in from China, and we have it under control. It's uh, going to be just fine. But now we're working very strongly with China on the coronavirus that's, uh, a new thing that a lot of people are talking about. Hopefully it won't be uh, as bad as some people think it could be, but we're wor working very closely with them and with a lot of other people in a lot of other countries, and we think we have it very well under control. The virus, they're working hard. Looks like by April, you know, in theory, when it gets a little warmer, it miraculously goes away. I hope that's true. But we're doing great in our country, China. I spoke with President Xi, and they're working very, very hard. And I think it's going to all work out fine. Rough stuff, I tell you, rough, rough stuff. But I think it's going to work out good. What do you have a very small number of people in the country right now with it? It's like around 12. Many of them are getting better. Some are fully recovered already. So we're in very good shape. I think it's going to work out fine. I think when we get into April and the warmer weather, that has a very negative effect on, on that and that type of a virus. So let's see what happens, but I think it's going to work out fine. Now the Democrats are politicizing the coronavirus. You know that, right? Coronavirus. They're politicizing it. We did one of the great jobs, you say, how's President Trump doing? They go, oh, not good, not good. They have no clue. They don't have any clue. And this is their new hoax. But, you know, we did something that's been pretty amazing. We have 15 people in this massive country. And because of the fact that we went early, we went early, we could have had a lot more than that. We're doing great. Our country is doing so great. 
you also considering a national emergency declaration that would allow states and local governments to have the money? I don't think you'll need that because I really think we're in you know, extremely good shape. Uh, we're prepared for anything, and we could always do that at a later date if we need it, but I don't think we need that. We're prepared, and we're doing a great job with it, and it will go away. Just stay calm. It's going to go away. It's going to go away. I was watching Scott. I was watching Scott this morning, and he was saying within two months. But, you know, in the meantime, uh, we want to lose as few people as possible. So important. And what is the, the number as of this morning? Is it 32? You can tell me. Is it 32 deaths? Safe around that. I mean, think of it, the United States, because of what I did and what the administration did with China, we have 32 deaths at this point. Other countries that are smaller countries have many, many deaths. 32 is a lot. 32 is too many. But when you look at the kind of uh, numbers that you're seeing coming out of other com countries, it's pretty amazing when you think of it. It's a very contagious virus. It's uh, incredible. But it's something that we have uh, tremendous control of. You said that you were not responsible for the testing shortfall. Very simple question. Does the buck stop with you? And on a scale of one to 10, how would you rate your response to this crisis? I'd rate it a 10. I think we've done a great job. And it started with the fact that we kept a very highly infected country, despite all of the, even the professionals uh, saying, no, it's too early to do that. We were very, very early with respect to China and we would have a whole different situation in this country if we didn't do that. I would rate it a, a very, very, I would rate ourselves and, and the professionals. I think the professionals have done a fantastic job. And I've always known this is a, this is a real, this is a pandemic. I felt it was a pandemic long before it was called a pandemic. All you had to do is look at other countries. I think now it's in almost 120 countries all over the world. Uh, no, I've always viewed it as very serious. There was no difference yesterday from days before. I feel the tone is similar, but uh, some people said it wasn't. Clinical trials are already underway for many new therapies, and we're working on scaling these to allow many more Americans to access different drugs. We've shown really good promise. We've had some un really good promise. It is known as a malaria drug, and it's been around for a long time, and it's very powerful. But the nice part is it's been around for a long time. So we know that if, it, if, if things don't go as uh, planned, it's not going to kill anybody. If we can hold that down, as we're saying to 100,000, it's a horrible number. Maybe even less, whatever that final number will be, which could be 60, could be 70, could be 75, could be 55. I think right now we're heading at probably around 60 maybe 65,000. We're going toward 50 or 60,000 people. We're probably heading to 60,000, 70,000. So if we lose 65,000 people, hopefully we're going to come in below that 100,000 lives lost. We're going to lose anywhere from 75, 80 to 100,000 people. On Wednesday, September 30th, President Trump seemed more than fine. Here he is at 2.30 p.m. We're going to Minnesota. I thought the uh, debate last night was great. We've gotten tremendous reviews on it. Minnesota matters to the president. He lost the state in 2016, but wants to flip it this year. He arrived early at 5.15 Eastern, made time for a private fundraiser before heading to a rally at 9. COVID wasn't talked about much there, except for suggestions the economy would soon soar. 
And now we're opening it up, and we're doing it at a level like nobody's ever seen before. And it's a great thing. And we're going to be back in business very soon. The virus wasn't just in the speech, it was in the air. The New York Times reports that it was at that rally that Trump advisor Hope Hicks started feeling ill. By the time the Trump team boarded Air Force One Wednesday night, Hicks was sick enough to be quarantined on the plane. So Wednesday, almost done, and look at Trump's potential contact list. Beyond the private donors, the public, the Secret Service and military, hundreds of people, it's his inner circle, including Jared Kushner, Ivanka Trump, senior advisor Stephen Miller, and at that point, the already symptomatic Hope Hicks. When they landed at Andrews Air Force Base at 12.10 a.m. Thursday, October 1st, Hicks, deplaned through the back staircase, was tested not long after. The president was about to have a busy day. As president, I Thursday morning, he Catholic recorded remarks for an annual Catholic charity dinner. The end of the pandemic is in sight, and next year will be one of the greatest years in the history of our country. At 1.14 p.m. Thursday, Trump heads to his Bedminster, New Jersey golf club for a fundraiser with hundreds of supporters. Some aides scrap plans to join him at the last minute after learning Hicks had tested positive. We now know the White House made the call for the president and other aides to carry on. It was deemed safe for the president to go. Um, he socially distanced. It was an outdoor event and it was deemed safe. But those in attendance say there was at least one indoor event in which 19 people sat with him for roughly 45 minutes. He didn't wear a mask. Attendees were tested for COVID before the meeting. They're being tested again. There's some reporting he was raspy voiced and tired in New Jersey. This is where symptoms may have first appeared. The White House, by the way, did not publicly disclose the positive test of Hope Hicks, nor did it inform Joe Biden's team. News only emerged after eight when a Bloomberg journalist broke that story. The president then appeared on Fox News at 9.49 p.m. She did test positive. I just heard about this. She tested positive. We now know he hadn't just learned about it. He'd known for the bulk of the day. At 12.54 a.m., Friday, October 2nd, the president tweeted he and the first lady had tested positive. This is a Fox News alert. I'm Ashley Strohmeyer, live from New York. President Trump just tweeted moments ago that he and the first lady have tested positive for the coronavirus. It follows news that top aide Hope Hicks who traveled with the president multiple times this week, had tested positive. This includes aboard Marine One, the presidential helicopter, and on Air Force One to a rally in Minnesota Wednesday, and then aboard Air Force One to Tuesday night's first presidential debate in Cleveland. Hicks is said to be quarantining at home and is reportedly experiencing symptoms. The uh, helicopter Marine One lifting up off the South Lawn of the White House. Uh, President Trump being transferred tonight to the Walter Reed Military Medical Center. Uh, the White House has said this is out of an abundance of caution and at the recommendation of his physician and medical experts. And they say that the president will be working from the presidential offices at Walter Reed for the next few days. It's been 242 days since the first reported case of this novel coronavirus in the United States. Since then, there have been nearly 7 million more reported across all 50 states. Daily cases have fallen from a peak of more than 70,000 in July to under 40,000 today. All told, Louisiana, Florida, Mississippi, Alabama, and Arizona have seen the most cases per capita so far. 
But over the last week, the Dakotas, Wisconsin, Oklahoma, and Utah have seen the most cases per capita. New York, which suffered the worst outbreak early on, accounts for more than 16% of all COVID-19 deaths, with roughly 33,000. In New York City, one in every 360 residents died. New Jersey, California, Texas, and Florida each have seen at least 10,000 people die. But the five states with the highest death rates in the last week are Arkansas, Mississippi, Virginia, Florida, and North Dakota. Globally, among these developed nations, the U.S. has by far the highest number of daily deaths. It's a number that will likely continue to grow as we wrestle with our national response to this global tragedy. For the PBS NewsHour, I'm William Brangham. Let's start with the report from the New York Times, which says President Trump, who's a billionaire, paid less income tax than teachers, firefighters and nurses in the year he won the presidency, as well as in his first year in office. The newspaper says it obtained tax records for Mr. Trump and his companies over two decades, and he paid just $750 in federal income taxes in 2016 and 2017. It also says that President Trump paid no income tax at all in 10 of the previous 15 years. The Times also takes aim at President Trump's wealth. In a public filing, Mr. Trump said he made at least $400 million in 2018. The newspaper challenges this, saying that his tax returns show the president actually made a loss of more than $40 million. Mr. Trump has dismissed the report as fake news. The explosive New York Times report on the tax situation of U.S. President Donald Trump is raising some uncomfortable questions for Germany's largest lender, Deutsche Bank. Namely, why did Deutsche Bank loan Mr. Trump $2 billion at the same time other banks, including all U.S. lenders, were not willing to do so? And while Deutsche Bank may be handling those loans, we cannot say tonight who or what is behind that money. In other words, we don't know who owns the debt of U.S. President Donald Trump. Special counsel Robert Mueller's investigation resulted in 34 people being charged with crimes, including 26 Russian nationals and six former Trump advisors or associates. And some others, they said they think it's Russia. Uh, I have uh, President Putin. Uh, he just said it's not Russia. I will say this. I don't see any reason why it would be. Among the people connected to President Trump who were charged are lobbyist and political consultant Paul Manafort, who worked as Trump's campaign manager in 2016. He faced multiple indictments stemming from his work as a political consultant in Ukraine in 2012 and his financial dealings. The indictments included charges of conspiracy against the United States, conspiracy to launder money, working as an unregistered foreign agent, making false statements, tax evasion, and bank fraud. Rick Gates, who had worked with Manafort since 2006 and was his deputy on Trump's campaign, was also charged and pleaded guilty to conspiracy and lying to the FBI. Alex Vanderswan, a London-based lawyer who worked with Manafort and Gates when they worked as political consultants in Ukraine, and is also married to the daughter of a Russian billionaire, pleaded guilty in February 2018 to lying to the FBI about their work in Ukraine. Konstantin Kalimnik was charged with working with Manafort to obstruct justice. Investigators say the two tried to influence potential witnesses in a case involving their failure to register as foreign lobbyists. 
The FBI also says that Kalimnik has ties to Russian intelligence. Trump's short-lived national security advisor, Michael Flynn, pleaded guilty in December 2017 to lying to the FBI about his contacts with Russian ambassador Sergei Kislyak. George Papadopoulos, who was a foreign policy advisor to the Trump campaign, pleaded guilty in October 2018 to lying to the FBI about his interactions with Russians who said they had damaging information on Hillary Clinton. And Trump's former personal lawyer, Michael Cohen, pleaded guilty to lying to Congress in November 2018. An operative, Roger Stone, who has informally advised Trump over the years and was briefly an advisor to his campaign in 2015, was indicted and arrested in January 2019. A team of prosecutors charged 13 Russian individuals and three entities in February 2018 for a long-running online scheme to criminally interfere with the 2016 election. They also charged a group of 12 Russian military intelligence officers in July 2018 for hacking Democrats' computers and stealing and publishing their data. by the President of the United States, speaking live from Washington. One hundred years of delay have passed since President Lincoln freed the slaves, yet their heirs, their grandsons, are not fully free. They are not yet freed from the bonds of injustice. They are not yet, not yet freed from social and economic oppression. And this nation, for all its hopes and all its boasts, will not be fully free until all its citizens are free. We preach freedom around the world, and we mean it. And we cherish our freedom here at home. But are we to say to the world, and much more importantly, to each other, that this is a land of the free, except for the Negroes? That we have no second-class citizens, except Negroes? That we have no class or caste system, no ghettos? no master race, except with respect to Negroes. We face, therefore, a moral crisis as a country and a people. It cannot be met by repressive police action. It cannot be left to increase demonstrations in the streets. It cannot be quieted by token moves or talk. It is a time to act in the Congress, in your state and local legislative body, and above all, in all of our daily lives. It is not enough to pin the blame on others, to say this is a problem of one section of the country or another, or deplore the facts that we face. A great change is at hand, and our task, our obligation, is to make that revolution, that change, peaceful and constructive for all. Those who do nothing are inviting shame as well as violence. Those who act boldly are recognizing right as well as reality. We need to recall and recover our own identity. Our identity as a nation, unlike many other nations, is not determined by geography or, or ethnicity, by soil or blood. Being an American involves the embrace of high ideals and civic responsibility. We become the heirs of Thomas Jefferson by accepting the ideal of human dignity found in the Declaration of Independence. We become the heirs of James Madison by understanding the genius and values of the U.S. Constitution. We become the heirs of Martin Luther King, Jr. by recognizing one another not by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. This means that people of every race, religion, ethnicity can be fully 
and equally American. It means that bigotry or white supremacy in any form is blasphemy against the American creed.